Pretty Policeman, Multiple Paradox Net Files. These are some of The Little Darlings. It's great to be gay. Our favourite episode titles. Right on, sister. Please be gentle. From all three seasons of the logbooks. You might well be very angry. So we've printed them on a t-shirt and a poster. Crash pad needed. Kiss my rump. And our limited stock is for sale at thelogbooks.org. Interested and willing? With profits going to Switchboard. Thank you for being here. So take a look at thelogbooks.org slash shop. Welcome to the Finsbury Library in Islington, in London, uh, the borough that has housed Switchboard since volunteers began taking phone calls in 1974. I'm Adam Smith, one of the hosts and producers of the Logbooks. Uh, Tash and Shivani and I are bringing you this bonus episode recorded live on February the 5th in, uh, in the uh, library here in Islington, so you can hear some noises outside of us. I think there's a church nearby that's going to bing bong in a little bit. We've, uh, we've, we've funded that with two thousand um, pounds uh, and it's taking place during LGBT History Month we're at an event organized also with Islington's Pride um, uh, Sean is going to tell you a little bit about Islington's Pride in a minute and we wanted to share this event with our subscribers and listeners so if you're listening uh, as a podcast that's you hello welcome we've got some fresh voices tonight and some familiar ones and of course we're led by the handwritten notes made by volunteers into Switchboard's logbooks from 1974 to 1982, although some memories you hear tonight will stretch beyond those years. So I'm going to hand over to uh, Sean McGovern from Islington's Pride, who's going to introduce himself and the panel and tell us how tonight is going to work. Thank you very much, Adam, for that introduction. I'm Sean McGovern. I am the project manager of Islington's Pride. Islington's Pride is a project that's funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund in conjunction with Islington Council. Uh, we are documenting, collecting, preserving and celebrating the LGBT plus history of this borough. And as Adam mentioned, Switchboard is a vital and uh, monumental part of our shared history. I'll be chairing the discussion tonight and I'm joined by four panellists. To my right, I have... Femi Otitoju. Julian House. Marlon Kandaka. And um, I'm Tash Walker, one of the other hosts and um, producers of the podcast and co-chair of Switchboard. So, Adam, over to you for the first reading of the night. This is a logbook entry from June the 2nd, 1975. Gay women's pub in Bethnal Green, run by two women, Carpenter's Arms. This is a logbook entry from May 27th, 1975. Caller rang to say there is a pub called the Arabian Arms in Mare Street, Bethnal Green, E8. Not to be confused with pub of same name in Cambridge Heath Road, E2. Apparently it's much more lively than the Cambridge Heath Road one. Drag at the bar, especially good on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays. Mixed, but mainly gay. Also reported that the exhibition pub in Edmonton Green is no good. Caller claims that the only gay people were himself and the barman. <laughs> now part of this project is to document some spaces that may have disappeared um, in this borough and of course throughout London um, but I believe Tash has a little bit of uh, more information about this particular lesbian bar uh, Yeah so we just heard about the Carpenters, Carpenters Arms um, in Bethnal Green which, which I have actually been to now it's on Cheshire Street just off Brick Lane but I think I was the only gay person in there when I went um, so we did a bit of digging around and looked into the history of the Carpenter's Arms. 
And like any good East End pub, it has a lot of rich history. It was originally bought by the Cray brothers in 67 um, and was at one point known as the most notorious pub in London. Um, but when we were looking into this, um, it was on a, an article on uh, Spitterfield's history. We found a comment underneath that was um, written by someone which said, I'm 100% my auntie Jean owned the Carpenter's Arms with her friend Esty. And then a bit later on, the uh, one and only artist and gay campaigner Stuart Feather wrote just last year, I am one of the drag queens who lived at Bethnal Rouge, a gay liberation front bookshop and social centre at 248 Bethnal Green Road. We loved the Carpenter's Arms and the lesbian couple Jean and Esty who ran it when we were there in 73-74. He then goes on to say how he looked into the Carpenters recently and how it's unrecognisable. The piano is gone, the songs and the community spirit of the past are gone, but that is gentrification for you. So a bit of context on the Carpenters Arms. Do, um, did either of you two frequent the Carpenters Arms? Yeah, well, uh, of course, being part of the Bethnal Green uh, Collective for a little while, uh, yes, it was Jean and Esme, and uh, um, Esme was Canadian, Jean was uh, from the East End, and it was the tiniest pub in the world. Um, it didn't uh, Originally, it didn't even have a, a spirits license, uh, and uh, it had an outside loo, and uh, a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, reprobates and ne'er-do-wells as well as locals um, used to uh, be around there virtually every night. I'd spent many a long night propping up the bar there. Those are my separatist days. <coughs> I did pop my head around the door once, um, but in general, um, my um, um, consciousness raising group, the feminists, um, uh, we didn't frequent mixed places, so we, we just popped in just the once. That means you only had the gateways on a Sunday. That was about it in the early days, I'm afraid. <laughs> the other pub um, that was mentioned in the second of the logbook entries, um, which was called the Arabian Arms um, on Mare Street, Bethnal Green, that's actually now Metropolis, for anyone um, who is aware of the more modern venues. Um, it was a gentleman's club, uh, gentleman's club. I, I don't know if it still is, but it's also where Savage Disco was happening, which is a... Um, a drag night, um, a big, amazing gay disco night run by Sync the Pink. So it's really cool to look back at that logbook entry and, and see how it talks about there being like a fantastic drag at the bar and that's sort of like a big circle where we're right back there again. And I really like that reflection. And Femi, you were a volunteer uh, with Switchboard and I imagine that people obviously called it an awful lot of things they wanted to talk about. But I guess... Uh, in many situations, people were calling about where to go out. Um, so, like, how often would you get phone calls of people just saying what club is good on a Tuesday night? I think we got those all the time. I mean, we'd get dozens of an evening, and you, they wouldn't just say where it's good to go out. They'd go, "I'm standing here." in this place, what is the nearest club? And we used to just have this massive map on the wall. And my geography was shite. So I was always saying, here, what's that near? What, what, what city are you in? Because, of course, this could come from anywhere in the country at all. And then you'd be looking at maps and trying to find a pin and then front, flicking through files. But, yeah, you had to work out who they were, what they were looking for, where they were, and then if there was anything that would fit the bill. And in some places it was just the one disco in the whole city and you just said everyone there <laughs> yeah no, of course you, you needed to add to that because a lot of times people were saying well i got here but i'm really frightened about going through the door because there might be other people in there that know me so you had to say to them yes and the reason they are there is 
Um, so, you know, you had to do it, all that hand-holding as well. And then if it was awful, they'd ring you on, on the, the way, way out as well. It's a yeah. How do you, I mean, Marlon, from a, an archivist's like, perspective... Oh, sorry, from an archivist's point of view, um, what's, it, what's it been like do documenting Islington's history through nightlife? Is there much in the records, aside from things like the logbooks? Within Islington, we do have logbooks from another um, helpline, specifically women's. Um, but in general, we don't have a huge amount on nightlife within the Islington's Pride one specifically. We have a lot more on social activities, social groups, social organisations that were going on. What you get is kind of snippets that you put together and you work out what else was going along. So if anyone knows Central Station, it's the one pub that's kind of made it through with all the closures and everything else is going down i can see a lot of heads nodding which i'm just putting that out for the podcast um people do know what i'm talking about that um central station has the underground and that was their club night and you we've got their archives and some of that is their newsletters and so you can kind of work out the different nights that were going on the different themes the different activities what was hip at the time and what people were interested in. Yeah. And in the 70s, of course, it was called Prince Albert. That's effectively what it was. And uh, it had the Gay Activist Alliance disco in a room upstairs that every time people danced too much, the record turntable used to bounce up and down. And uh, the glasses slipped off the table. And the glasses slipped off the table. <laughs> Do we have any contributions from anyone in the audience? If you want to raise your hand and just wait for the mic. Just talking of Central Station, um, yes, it was the Prince Albert, and indeed Switchboard used to do their interviews there for volunteers when I first joined Switchboard in the late 70s, mid-70s. That's where I was first interviewed. Should we wait for the bongs? (laughs) (laughs) Unless you you have to read the news. (laughs) This is going to be very I'll, long. I'll, yeah, it, just about the Carpenter's Arms, which was originally once owned by Violet Cray, the Cray's twin's mother. Um, it actually was saved by gentrification because it was going to be demolished and they were going to build unaffordable apartments there. Uh, so the, the guys that own it now saved it and made it into the sort of pub it is now, which is pretty bland. And, um, but, but gentrification actually saved it in that case. Is anyone else something they'd like to share? Nightlife? No? Okay. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of hand. Uh, my name's Paul Thurlow. I'm one of the volunteers at the Islington's Pride. So, one of the things I've been doing is going through the material in the archive. And uh, <clears throat> now and then I come across a reference to some particular, you know, Thursday nights at blah, blah, blah venue. Um, so, and there's a whole, there are a whole, there are lots of these for Islington. Um, and one in particular is the, the intrigues me is the Crown and uh, Woolpack, which um, was actually just up the road here on St John's Street. Um, and I found a reference to it in Lisa Powers' uh, 
book oral history on um on switchboard and it talks about it as being the first the first lesbian pub sort of disco in back in i think it was 72 or something like that so i'd be quite interested to find somebody who actually remembers going there well this is the voice of adam again hello um yeah, I mean, if anyone's listening to the podcast who um, could respond to that, that would be great, and we can obviously put them in touch. And I should also say um, to Paul, thank you for that contribution. I've seen your name in the logbook, so I know you're a former <laughs> volunteer. Um, of course, obviously, as LGBT people, nightlife is very important to us in finding our sense of community, but many of the calls would have been about being gay or lesbian or trans at home. And uh, Adam, I believe, has some has some... Um, log entries about home life. This is a logbook entry from October the 27th, 1975. A girl rang up saying she'd just moved into London, into a large flat, Kennington. She and her friend go to lorries, rods, etc., which they enjoy, but with the net effect that they know more gay men than women. They're thinking of holding parties for girls of their age, around 20, who want to avoid the butch femme scene. This is a logbook entry from January 7th, 1982. Guy from Staines phoned. Wife had told him that she had fallen for a woman. They've been married for 21 years, kids, etc. He was being very supportive, but was clearly upset and under considerable stress. He's been a publican to a pub with some gay clientele. We chatted for some length. This entry is quite interesting because it's a, it's a, a heterosexual partner who's... Uh, calling in. Femi, I, I imagine that, that predominantly you got a lot of LGBT people calling, but how often was it the case where someone straight would call up and ask you to explain things? Um, quite a lot. I, I used to get people calling, the thing I remember was women calling because their friend had come out as a lesbian. And then they were really worried um, like whether they'd only been their friend because they actually truly fancied them and then that was what was going to happen whether they might become a lesbian just by having a lesbian friend maybe they would always been a lesbian which was why they picked this lesbian to be their friend um and so our job was to say yes to all of those things <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. <laughs> but it was basically yeah to try and make sure that the things that the friendship survived and uh, the other thing was parents i suppose we've got lots of parents who are concerned about their 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 young people um Oh, anyone rang switchboard. It was open 24-7 in the days when very few things were. So anyone who was connected to the community used it as a resource. Was that what you found, Julian? Uh, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it's a testament to uh, switchboard that so many, you know, that the callers said things. And if we we responded, and, and so many offshoots of switchboard, like the befriending group, um, like um, Icebreakers, uh, which was around, like Parents' Inquiry run by the wonderful Rose down in Catford, um, all these other, the Lesbian and Gay Bereavement Group, it, 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 to a certain extent, they were either very closely aligned to Switchboard or grew out of Switchboard in the in the 70s uh, from in response to callers' need, because, of course, we didn't need callers. But, you know, we identified need, and little groups of Switchboard volunteers went off and set up a community, you know, uh, to, to, to service people. Yeah. 
And I think that's where the accommodation service came from as well. Because, well, lots of you know now that homelessness among LGBT people is just so much higher than the rest of the population, often connected to our gender identity or sexual orientation. And so um, with the, the Switchboard was the place that you called. So in the end, we ended up with the biggest free accommodation service in Europe. Uh, directly as a result of trying to respond to the needs of our own community. Yeah, I just um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you both talk about all those things. And and look, going back to that log logbook entry that we've looked at, it what struck me from that is that this could be a call that we take today. You know, we still get people calling us coming out, and it's it's that classic thing that coming out isn't just about younger people. It could be someone coming coming out in their, you know, after being married for twenty one years. Um, to a heterosexual person but again we have people contacting us who are in their 70s and 80s where their heterosexual partners died and they feel like now is a point where they can address those feelings that they have inside and yeah I, I think this is something that was really that's always really jumped out to me when looking through the logbooks is that we have these different societal changes and changes in legislation but the themes of these calls themes of support and isolation or hear concern from a, a loved one, an ally, um, they stay true and they, they still echo now in the calls that we take today. Um, Switchboard is for the LGBT plus community, but it's also for those beyond the community who need support as well. And then the other logbook entry, this was also really interesting to me, especially um, what the caller talks about um, this butch femme identity. And uh, that's a theme that's really rung true, especially in this time period that we're looking at, 74 to 82, where lots of the people that we've spoken to in the logbook countries, and Femi, I'm sure you can um, help me out here, um, they talk about this, this real binary dynamic of butch and femme, and you had to, people felt like they had to be one or the other, or you were sort of excluded from within that. Um, and it's interesting in reflecting on today where there's this reclamation of butch and You've got nights like Butch Please coming out and people saying, I, you know, I, I'm all about my Butch identity. This is who I am. But, but yeah, what did it feel like back then? Is that something that you can... Yes, I remember there were sort of different types of clubs uh, where you could go and you'd know that there would be some lesbians who would be in Butch Femme type, what ostensibly looked like Butch Femme relationships in that, you know, one dressed this way and the other one dressed the other way. Uh, some of that was actually really, it made life a bit easier. I mean, I know when I used to go out, my girlfriend, girlfriend, I used to say, "Look, you know, do you want to be butch tonight?" Because, because otherwise, you know, if you both if you both dress the same, if you both look like blokes, you might get beaten up. And if one of you looked, if you both look like women, then some bloke would come up to you and go, "And what are you two girls doing here all by yourself?" But if one of you looked very clearly butch and one of you looked really femme, it was gave a really good signal. So that made life easy. Um, there was also sometimes a bit of a tension between those women who thought that um, it was a bit you know, tacky to do the butch femme thing as well. And I think that's kind of coming round yeah. um, again. Uh, but it was very, very present and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it still is. I was going to say, uh, Julian, uh, could you speak to like... Well, I mean, so, you know, there's a whole sort of thing, you know, emancipation, supposedly, or decriminalisation in, in like sort of, you know, 67, and by 72 people were crawling out of the closet during the 70s. And there was that whole sort of thing of, of you know, some people believed that gay meant good as you, as good as heterosexuals. And actually, we still had to 
portray ourselves as being pseudo heterosexuals. So, you know, the queens, as usual, were the people who went, you're letting the side down. Huh? Um, to, you know, to quite to quite some extent, it was that sort of thing of, uh, well, now we've got liberation. You know, now we're, we're, we're sort of getting towards equality. You know, you don't have to uh, you don't have to dress up. You don't have to be fabulous. You know, the only place for that to happen is a is in a is in a drag bar. Thank you very much. So, you know, there was that, uh, 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 you know, gender role stereotyping that was, uh, you know, that was about, uh, well, we don't need to be like that anymore, um, which is. You know, thankfully, perhaps that is changing, but I don't know so much. It was a bit irritating, this. It's almost as though you, you either had politics or you could have fun, but you couldn't do both. So if you want... So, you, so, so the lesbian feminists largely didn't indulge in the in the butch femme kind of identity thing that was seen as aping heterosexuality. So, you know, you had to choose very carefully where you were going and therefore what you could wear. Uh, because you wouldn't really want to be dressed butch and femme and then going off to one of the places that was known where all the feminists were because you'd just be sitting on your own, um, not talking to any of the others. So it was, yeah, it was quite um, a stratified, I think, the, the, the nightlife community in that way. So it's really interesting, the Femi, you were talking about kind of uh, internal politics within the community. But of course, you know, I, I, at that time period and, and, you know, even to this day to some extent, and the decisions that we get to make in our lives are very often shaped by the political climate that we exist in. And something that we've documented quite well during Isn't His Pride is the effects of Section 28. And we actually have quite an archive about that. And um, it's, it's only growing to, with the more ephemera that comes in. But um, we also had some people making calls about their own political affiliations or how to kind of um, square their political choices uh, in an LGBT capacity. And I think Adam has something to say about that. This is a logbook entry from September the 18th, 1976. A guy phoned to ask if we had any information on how he could get in touch with his local National Front branch. Talked to him for a bit. He was gay and serious about wanting to join the National Front. Told him about fascism being violently anti-gay gays in concentration camps under Hitler, and told him I couldn't give him the info he wanted, as we don't have it. Afraid I was polite, but extremely cool, as I'm only too aware of the potential threat to gay activists and gay organizations in general, should the NF or similar organizations ever come into power. And this is a, a logbook entry from the book that's dated November 1975 to March 1976. I don't have a precise date. Has anybody heard details about a gay conservative group which is being formed? Surely it's a contradiction in terms, a bit like an RAC pedestrians group. Um, where to start there, I think. Uh, Julian, do you have any memories of, of these kind of calls? Yeah, well, I think that's... Um... Yes, and yes, I have memories of that sort of call, that that sort of call, and I always also have memories of 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 us thinking, um, you know, to what extent are we going to uh, give people information? Yes, there was gay conservative groups. Yet they were gay liberal groups, you know, uh, and actually they did a great job in in looking for law reform, um, in looking for those for those other things. So, and I think that. Switchwall was a broad enough church to have all those, it, both in terms of the people who were sitting answering the phones on Switchboard and and our callers all the way through. I mean, say for me, community during then, you know, was was still involved with the 
the and home was involved with the you know the breakup of GLF and there were GLF groups of various persuasions um, in the um, uh, the SWP. Um, there were gay liberation front groups in East London still, in South London still, in other places and other cities. So I think you know we were very much a broad church. But as uh, you know, one person um, who d did say, you know, well, you know, but people actually ought to look at their consciousness raising. Um, and do something because there are certain gay men who, if the um, if the Nazis came in to the Salisbury, that famous gay pub on the on the St Martin's Lane, uh, uh, Lane today, they just go, oh, very pretty costumes, darling. Yeah. Uh, let's have another gin and tonic. Yes, uh, I think that's true. We really did um, span the political spectrum. But there was a kind of underlying thing about tolerance and acceptance, and that's what allowed it to happen. Because sometimes we get a bit carried away. I remember being thoroughly caught out um, by because I picked up the phone and um, I heard this person with a, a South African accent saying that they wanted to go somewhere where um, they could meet black South African people. So they were obviously calling for South Africa. And they, you know, you can't hear that I'm black from, uh, from when I'm on the phone. So this person was saying, yes, yes, I've got a real weakness for the blacks and I really I want to meet black people and uh, can you tell me? And I was getting all irated about this. And I said, no, we don't have any information and we, d we don't give out information in, in South Africa because of the apartheid and no. And I put the phone down, I was very upset and very flummoxed. And one of my colleagues, we took care of each other on the phone. So one of my colleagues leaned over to me and said, are you all right, dear? And I said, yes. I said, the person's asking me to meet black men and some kind of South African person. And he said, oh, was the person black or white? And I thought, oh, that never occurred to me. I just assumed it was a white person. And I got all uppity about it. And it, that was the thing. Sometimes we got just so carried away with our own, you know, individual kind of political persuasions that I still to this day don't know whether I'd done that person a misservice. You know, one thing about Islington that we're very proud of is that there was a lot of firsts here. We had the first um, openly gay elected mayor, Bob Crossman. Bob Crossman, yeah. Uh, and don't forget Chris Smith, of course, who was the first openly gay MP. And I was just wondering if any of the, the local politics of the time kind of crossed over with you guys at, at any point. Did you, how often did you bump into any local Labour councillors at the bar? Uh, well, we hung out with Bob Crossman. It was that wasn't hard. <laughs> he was all he was everywhere. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they. I, I certainly remember um, seeing various councillors, but I don't think we thought very much of it. Really, they were just there and part of the community, and that was what was nice about Islington. Um, yeah, it felt like home. Yeah, I know Bob Crossman, of course, as sister kissed my ass goodbye um, because he was also a member of the Order of Perpetual Indulgence. Um, but I do remember, and this is to take us outside the timescale uh, slightly, um, when we had the first ILGA conference, uh, which also happened in Islington in 1991 at uh, the Rosebury uh, um, Halls of Residence down the road, um, Bob, as an ex-mayor, got us a reception at Islington Town Hall. And uh, when we got to Islington Town Hall with these 300 people from all over, uh, lesbians, gay men, transgender from all over Europe, um, Bob was absolutely incensed that the quality of the refreshments that were laid on for us were not as much as would have happened for any other um, special interest group. And he slated the current mayor, and he slated the council, 
and he slated absolutely everybody. And um, eventually they found the scotch and they found the vodka. Um, it was too late for more volivons, but uh, um, there you go. Uh, there was a lot of hummus there, as I remember. A lot of hummus, <laughs> darling. <laughs> yeah. What were the snacks? I'm really curious. Do you remember? What? The refreshments. Well, there was no snacks. No, yeah, there were very few. There were very few. And he, snacks as he said, he said, if this had been in celebration of Nelson Mandela, they would have got more bloody stuff out. I tell ya, because it's a bunch of puffs. Even though I'm the mayor, puffs and lesbian. Even though I'm the mayor, you know, they haven't done very well by you. It was a very DIY thing because I remember two gay men and then um, one of them was Neil Cavalier-Smith, I think, who started uh, Prowler Press. And I remember that we had to press gang them um, from being publishers into actually spreading hummus onto the pitta. And he wasn't wielding that knife with any skill at all, but he was willing. Um, I don't really know where to go from there. Uh, <laughs> but I, I guess reflecting back on the logbook entry, um, I, I, when I when I would find these entries in the logbooks, um, I was really shocked that um, people were calling up asking those sorts of questions. And initially I just thought, oh, is this some kind of hoax as well? And I wondered if that was something uh, going through your minds as volunteers when you're answering the call. But you know, looking at how we train volunteers and how volunteers have been trained for the last coming up to 46 years, you have to be prepared for whatever the caller is going to say. You have no idea when the phone's ringing or now when the instant messaging or email comes in. And you, you need to be as open-minded as possible. And then when you pick up that phone, it's about informing that person, allowing them space. You know, They could come up onto the phone shouting and being abusive at you. I'm, I'm sure you had so many of those sorts of calls, but what's the reason behind that and, and delving into that further? Well, there's always that call of somebody phones up, you know, the kid who phones up with their friends. And remember, we're talking before mobiles here, darlings. You know, when they're outside the telephone box and they're phoning up and they're saying, you know, you fucking queers. And they're all, you can hear a load of giggling. And it's a bunch of school kids. And they're asking all these questions about gay sex and you answer all. And eventually you have to turn around and say, well, I've given you five minutes of my time. We're very busy here. But I know that one of you there has actually phoned because... You're thinking about things. And that actually you might be gay. And you're too frightened to make the call by yourself. Well, you've heard us. Huh? Phone us back when your mates aren't around. <laughs> and I'm sure we got quite a lot of re repeat custom and that actually happened. So, you know, it's a typical thing. How you turn abuse into something where you're just outlining the inf uh, information and uh, you're allowing somebody to vent and eventually... Actually, you know, there's some underlying need that they're phoning for, but they can't articulate it because, of course, we live in a fucking patriarchic, homophobic, you know, um, uh, you know, society, and people haven't got the the courage to actually talk about what they really feel. Do we have any reflections from the audience, or comments, or questions? So it's very interesting, Julian, to hear you say that because only last week I had a call from some teenagers calling Switchboard talking about whether pansexuals like to have sex with pans. And I used the exact line that's obviously trickled through the cat training. And I said exactly what you said. One of you is obviously having some thoughts about this sort of topic, so please ring back. So it's just really amazing to hear you say that because I said it last week. <laughs> yeah, something's unchanged. I think yeah. that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> that is really, you know... That is really... <laughs> <laughs>
I mean, sadly, I was one of those teenagers in 1976 who, with their mates, phoned up and did exactly the same thing. And I think t two days later, I phoned up to apologise <laughs> because, therefore, I could actually speak to the person and had a reason to call. And I went away with a long list of pubs that were in my area and what to do next. So you're right, somehow behind all that is there somebody thinking, well, now someone's made the connection, I'll phone up in my own time because I know I, I, I feel comfortable about speaking to somebody. Is he forgiven? I'm a darling of course. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, yeah, I used to do Nightline at university, which is kind of a student helpline. Um, and obviously going through the training of that, there were it was sort of peer-led, but there were sort of procedures and and yeah the way of doing it and i wonder when especially sort of when it was started up was it set up by people who had the experience of doing that already did you just sort of find out you know work things out as you went along how how did that um because certainly kind of your experience of oh i made a mistake with that um and obviously you still feel in a minor way like still there yeah like how do you deal with that kind of um, that process of, of making sure that um, procedures are in place or those policies. I was quite struck at how rapidly we found those structures. Uh, we found levels of skills and experience amongst the volunteer group um, and then the volunteers quite quickly organised themselves with a little training group and training group would put on in-service training sessions uh, on, on specific topics and you could highlight something where you felt you weren't very confident and if you popped that into the logbook there'd usually be somebody who'd respond and say you know I'll do a session or I'll, I'll work with you on that so there, there was the, the support there and in the end it got almost regimented you must do your basic in-service training on this on this issue and that issue there was a uh, um, oh, and the pub crawls oh that was alright compulsorily compulsory pub crawls I used to get dragged you used to drag me round so <laughs> round so I'm pointing at Julia um, around Soho and so I'm pointing out all the little drinking clubs that there was no way as a lesbian I was ever going to know about or get into on my own a couple of times I was disguised in tight leather outfits in order to um Get once down into Subway, I think somebody popped me in a leather waistcoat and snuck me into Subway. So there was, it was quite nice. Um, <laughs> there was, there was um, training around the, the the resources that were available. There was training around the issues that we had to face, and there was training around the skills that you needed to be able to answer the phone. We were, uh, I think, we were actually shit hot on that. And you took me to the Gateways, the lesbian club, on the one day that men were allowed in on a Sunday afternoon, so I could see how the lesbians lived. <laughs> so I guess the fourth and final topic we're going to talk about tonight is kind of at the heart of everything that we're trying to do here and that Switchboard has been doing um, for the last 46 years, which is community and that sense of community and finding your community. And Adam has uh, a few interesting little, uh, quite different little tidbits to tell us now. This is a logbook entry from July 4th, 1978. And at this time, Switchboard was based in the same building as Hausman's Socialist Bookshop near King's Cross. The logbook entry reads, Hausman's Bookshop was firebombed this morning. More details will follow. And then there's a reply the day later. 
Hausman's just rang, read the bomb. It was not addressed to any group in particular. We're all in it together, so take care. This is a logbook entry from January the 10th, 1976. At 1.35am, a guy came to the door downstairs and I answered it. He'd just seen our notice on the door and wanted to know what gay means. I told him, and he went away, apparently quite happy. How nice. <laughs> um, so my next question is from Marlon. And uh, one thing that we found throughout this project is the amount of uh, community organisations that, that, that were, existed in this borough uh, for either a long time or a short time, but I guess for as long as they felt they needed to be. Um, so could you tell us, tell us all a little bit about some of the groups that you've kind of come across in your uh, thumbing through the archives? Sarah, I just, I just want to make a quick comment. I just really love that within these um, logbooks, you get a lot of comments by the volunteers about what they thought and communicating with each other and getting their thoughts across about, oh, I didn't like that one. Oh, that was quite nice. Oh, that was fun. And I thought that was really, I really like that when I read through the archives and when I read through some of the logbook entries as well, just to get a sense of the person answering the phone as well as the query that was coming in. But going back to Sean's question about the different organisations and groups that have popped up, there's, I mean, like the numbers of groups, the ideas that come through, you just can't believe that they'd come up with a group. There was one for gay skinheads, there's one for gay bridge cl club, you know, you, there was the uniforms group, so people like to dress up in denim, and then you've got the just sports clubs, people who used to like to meet up and play tennis together, or football, or rugby, or... You know, the organisations span in terms of support groups. So we've got London Friend, which has been here since the 1980s. It's the ooh, yeah. 1980s. It's the longest running LGBT charity in the UK. And then we've got places like Switchboard, which are still going today. We've got places that have closed down. That um, Well, the London Lesbian and Gay Centre was in... Was in, was in Street. Yeah. Street. Within that, you had places like PACE, which was a group for um, counselling support for LGBT people by LGBT people. You had a group called TVTS, which was a support group for trans people, again, run by trans um, people as support groups for them. So, like, the the amount that were coming up in Islington was immense. And it's it's really sad that we've lost so many of these groups as well. It's so interesting, um, you listing those now, I can just see them all in the logbooks that I've looked over 74 to 2003. And um, it's amazing how many of them are here in Islington as well. And just going back to those logbook entries Adam read, um, the one specifically about, about Hausmans. Now, this is a, a fantastic place. It's called Peace House. It's celebrating its 60th anniversary and it's housed so many organisations. Of course, Switchboard, of course, Hausmans Bookshop, but... You know, I think it was, um, th this entry is 1978 where it's talking about these bombings and it was only four years earlier, which was the same time that we were there, that we just started in 1974, that the IRA bombed um, a pillar box outside, I think. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's been a point of, a target, a target for so many organisations. And I, I just think that for, for that to stand so strong today is fantastic. I know as well, were there um, other LGBT organisations that went through Hausman's? Um, well, certainly we we nurtured the Black, Lesbian and Gay uh, helpline, um, starting off with an evening a week, and then they kind of fledged and, 
uh, went off and became all sorts of things, including the Black Lesbian and Gay Centre project. Um, and of course, you know, the Housemans were the people, the only people who were able to give, yeah. were able to give the Gay Liberation Front its office, and that you know, in the basement. And that is actually that Gay Liberation Front information service is effectively what turned into after the collapse of GLF turned into um, um, a, a switchboard. So I, I heard rumours that it was um, the Gay Liberation Front and also uh, Gay News that they were starting to get too bothered from all these people ringing them and asking where they could go and actually could they help them work out if they were gay or bi or whatever. Um, and so out of this sort of mild irritation post partial decriminalization switchboard was born as a solution oh it's like a grain of sand becoming yeah, a pearl so isn't it <laughs> yeah absolutely and let me say you know in, i'm sure it's a, a time for a podcast of another thing but and then if you look we move into the 80s and we see the hiv epidemic and you look at all of the early responses they all had their germ in switchboard whether it's terence against drugs gay men fighting aids the National AIDS Helpline. But that's a story for a different time. Season two of the logbooks, we yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah. Islington is also uh, home to the gay teenage group. Um, and if anyone's around next week, we're having uh, them here as part of LGBT History Month. But that's a live event, so you know, you just have to come and see that happen. Um, do we have any uh, comments, questions from the audience on this section? Or do we have any comments about anything at this point? So if anybody has any thoughts they'd like to contribute, please just raise your hand. I'm kind of interested in how the role of switchboard has changed over the years. Now we have the internet, so if people are looking for venues or affinity groups or so on, there's a lot, there are a lot more information sources that people can go to. What does that mean in the profile of calls that Switchboard are taking now compared to in the 70s? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good question. It's a question that comes up a lot. Why is a helpline needed now uh, in this modern internet, seemingly connected age that we live in? And, and are we really an information service? So the answer is twofold. Switchboard started predominantly as an information service and then became an information and support service. As times evolved, like you say, the internet's happened. So... No one really rings us anymore to ask when Metropolis is open, for example, and if Savage Disco is still on. But the, the themes for support are still the same. We still get people calling about family issues, relationship issues coming out. More notably, as the decades have moved on, we get more questions around faith and sexuality. We've got more questions around gender identity. These calls have always been there, but we didn't have the language to really talk about that in the way that we do now. Uh, especially to do with gender non-conforming or gender identity as, as a topic in itself. But one thing that's always stood out to me from looking through all of the logbooks, from being on Switchboard for the last eight years as well, is that the themes of the support calls, they don't change. I found a call um, from 1975, I think, 1988 and 2003, all in the logbooks, which could have been a call that I take today. And they were all about someone ringing up, feeling isolated and feeling alone and feeling like they had no one to turn to. And, you know, you look at what's happening at the moment with the rise in reported hate crime, the levels of isolation and loneliness going up. It, we, we have an issue and this is exactly why Switchboard is still here and why our calls, and when I say calls, I mean phone, instant message and email, they're going up, which in part is 
not a great thing, but brilliant that we can be there to take them. Yeah. I, I'd like to add to that because I think one of the real reasons perhaps why I'm not on Switchable today, even though I don't live in this country very often, um, is that is that one of the things about it being in that pre-internet age is that we could actually create community via the phone, right? Grinder is not a community. A bar. When I used to work in heaven, it was, let's put more salt in the chips. We don't want people talking to each other, honey, you know? Um, uh, so there is that whole sort of thing that, that we have missed out of being able to turn around and actually impart a community message around what solidarity is about, about what issues uh, might be about, um, uh, and actually, you know, have the 20-year-old talking to the 80-year-old, you know, and, the, and vice versa. Um, and... And actually, our community, since you know Margaret Thatcher, the internet age, and all the rest of it, has actually become um, the, the the capitalist age of where we are assimilated, um, rather than building a community and actually doing something which could be more radical in a lot of ways for an awful lot of people. But that's just. I'm just a bitter old queen, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, while I do not actually disagree entirely with Julian, I, I do think that one of the main focus of the project that we're doing, that Marlon and I are, are overseeing, is that you know, there, the community kind of comes and goes, but it really goes when you forget about it or when, yeah. you, or when you lose it or the people who were there aren't around anymore. So I just want to kind of commend everyone involved in, in, in the logbooks the, both the, and, the switch, and the switchboard, but for kind of creating this podcast because, you know, you are documenting histories while they're still present. And that's one mm -hmm. thing that we're trying to do with Isms is Pride, which is why if anyone's listening to this at home and, and if you are ever crossed the border of Camden or, or, or the city or Harringay into Islington and you might have something in a drawer somewhere collecting dust, give it to us because that is, that is heritage and that is uh, what we're trying to preserve. What I find really interesting about the whole community aspect and how it comes into what we do with the archives is that I go to events and I talk to people and it's kind of like no 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 I don't I don't remember much nothing was going on oh yeah yeah switchboard yeah yeah I remember calling them once oh yeah I remember volunteering with them and then it turns out like they've got these huge stories and huge um ways of communicating of connecting with each other and that community was such a strong thing for them and then when you really get them to talk about it they can go on about it for hours which is partially how I feel about the podcast where I'm like you've opened up this book literally and you know the amount of conversations you brought up from it just by trying to connect back with that community in the past and that's you know that's a huge part of what we do in terms of collecting heritage and trying to pull it forward and trying to relay it to future generations and keep it relevant. I think Switchboard was a beautiful choice. The logbooks was a really beautiful choice for that because Switchboard was actually like a microcosm of our community. We gravitated to Switchboard from different age groups, from different ethnic groups and of course across our political spectrum and, and we took, you know, we nurtured each other and in turn then we nurtured those different communities and respond to all the different things that you were talking about so I think it's lovely that we're now able to contribute to this project it's fantastic. I think that's uh, a moment of applause there <laughs> So
So before we wind up, I just want to turn it over to Tash, who has some final remarks. Okay, and so some final words for those listening to the podcast. Thank you. This live episode is a bit of a trial, and if we can find the funding, we'd love to do more like this in other parts of the country. So please let us know what you think by emailing hello at thelogbooks.org. Also, if you would like to share your story with us for future seasons of The Logbooks, all our details can be found via our website, thelogbooks.org. But for now, we'd like to say a huge thank you to Sean, Marlin, Julian and Femi and everyone else who helped out tonight and also to all of you, our lovely audience, for joining us at Finsbury Library. So from Shivani, Adam and I, thank you again and good night. Thanks everyone. Special thanks to everyone who helped with the event on February the 5th and this bonus podcast episode. Louisa Malia, Scott Flashart of the hilarious Probably True podcast who lent us some kit, Helen McKenzie, also for the kit, Agle Rutkos Kaete and Elliot Smith. The Logbooks is produced by Shivani Dave, Adam Smith and Tash Walker in partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. If you think other people would like the logbooks, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. These ratings and reviews really help others to discover the show. You can send us your feedback and stories to hello at thelogbooks.org. Our music is by Tom Foskett Barnes and our artwork is by Natalie Dotto. Thanks to Steph Dickers and team at the Bishopsgate Institute. The folks at ACAST. Gareth Mitchell at Imperial College London, the staff and volunteers at Switchboard, and all the contributors who shared their stories. 45 years on, Switchboard continues to take phone calls from 10am to 10pm every day. If you're affected by any of the issues in this podcast or need to discuss anything to do with gender identity or sexuality, you can call Switchboard on 0300 330 0630 email chris at switchboard.lgbt or instant message via switchboard.lgbt where you can also donate money or time to help.